to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day Pod. Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine, joined by Noah Banks. Hey, what's up, guys? And we are coming to you guys after the Toronto Maple Leafs defeated the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it's our last podcast before our playoff preview this weekend. It was a great day today for the Leafs. You know, big win over uh, the Wings. I mean, not really that big. It was kind of inconsequential, but it clinched home ice for the Leafs. Most importantly, Austin Matthews got his 60th goals and Jack Campbell got a shutout. So, Noah, how are you feeling right now about the state of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, that that was just an easy win. Like it, it felt pretty good. I know the Red Wings were pretty banged up, but it was. Uh, I know we didn't blow them out or anything, but it never really felt like they had a chance. I thought their goalie was pretty good uh, tonight to make sure that it wasn't more than three nothing. But like breaking records, clinching home ice, Campbell shutout. Like today was just like a like a chef's kiss kind of game. Like I'm feeling like I'm very very satisfied after that win. I think that's my word. Yeah, it kind of hit all the checkboxes you wanted before the game. Matthews getting 60, Campbell looking great, power play clicking a little bit. It was just, they were knocking them off one by one when it was 2 nothing, And um, I think Matthews actually drew the penalty to the wings. Me and my dad just both looked at each other. We're like, the perfect cherry on top would be power play goal scored by Matthews to get 60, just because we've been having those struggles with the power play. And obviously Matthews was a little bit snake bitten coming into tonight. So yeah, we just, we kind of got the monkey off our backs tonight. Yeah, and I think I'm just hoping that that's a little bit of regression back to the mean. Like I, Matthews doesn't uh, in his NHL career hasn't had too many five game uh, stretches where he doesn't score a goal. I know he had one in the playoffs last year, but hopefully this is his getting it out of the way now, so that when he uh, when eventually the playoffs start, it's just uh, it's just on fire from there, and this is kind of setting the tone for what should be a really big playoff for um, our MVP. Yeah, and I think there was a little bit of concern among most Leaf fans after he missed, what was it, four games with an injury. We have no idea what it was. Uh, I was just, you know, he he came back. He was slumping a little bit, but you saw against Florida, he had 18,000 chances. Washington was a back-to-back, so you don't look at too much into that. But again, tonight, he was just firing from all angles, had four shots in the first period. I think I'm feeling pretty, pretty good about the way that uh, Matthews looks right now. Yeah, I find that Matthews, like, I was like, like, I've, I have a big feeling about Matthews, usually in the first period, when he just starts ripping shots from anywhere, like, he doesn't really care where he's shooting it from, he's just volume for that game, I just, I know he's feeling it, and he's like, he's feeling good, and tonight he had that, you know, he just like, every time he gets like, he gets like somewhat of a clean look, he was shooting, and I think we saw like the last couple games, I remember like an OT, um, when we were playing uh, Washington, he has like a wide open shot, like just him and the goalie. And he tried to like make the cute pass to Marner. And I kind of was like, eh, like he's not feeling it. He's not confident in his shot right now. And then like, you see a game like this where he's just, I'm firing everything I have. So going into the playoffs, that's the kind of mindset I want for Matthews. Just I can shoot, I can score right now. Yeah. And it was just one of those all around dominant performance. He was stealing the puck from everybody, just dominating possession in every sense of the word. I think that line tonight with uh, with him and Kerfoot and Marner, they were at 68% at uh, even strength for expected goals. And my word was the 60th goal a lot nicer than his 50th. That was a beautiful play by Matthews to kind of walk the blue line, keep it 
puck, keep the puck in the zone, and then absolutely blaze one by Nedeljkovic, which is kind of what I look for every time he comes off an injury because I'm just a little bit scarred off of those wrist injuries where you know he comes back and he scores, but it's more like that first goal where he dekes the goalie and just slides it under his pad or something. But that looked like a full health wrist goal. And I know they were saying that the injury wasn't to his wrist, but I'm, I'm still going to be a little bit concerned until I see it. And I really saw it from him tonight. So he hit that milestone that he needed, which brings me to the kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is the game against Boston on Friday. What do you think the Leafs need to do uh, with regards to resting players? Like Mitch Marner, we know we heard Craig Simpson talk about it all night, how he's three points away from 90 set or from a hundred. I personally really hope that Matthews and Marner both sit in the next game. Yeah, I don't know how many guys that we have like the ability to call up and uh, sit and move guys around. So I would just try to max out as many players as I can get scratched. And then in game as well, I'd be trying to uh, maybe give like extra minutes, like like a Nick Abruzzese 20 minute night game and like John Tavares at like 13 because he had that rest, the load management game against the Caps. So um, I feel like he's a little bit more well rested if he jumps in and plays 13, 14 minutes. I agree with you. Sit Matthews and Marner. I don't want them near anyone like Trent Frederick or something thinking he's smart. Oh, I'm going to go uh, take out a knee or an ankle right here. So just uh, as many guys as you can rest and then just try new things. Like I know we have a couple of guys that might be coming back. Like I think uh, Sandine is rumored to like, if he's feeling good, he might come back. Um, so like maybe try to get guys like Sandine, Kasha. I don't know if he's waiting right till the playoffs. I don't know what the situation is. It's with his head. So I don't want to speculate too much uh, there. But if you've got guys sitting right now, I try to shuffle as many new faces in as possible and just try like weird stuff. Like I remember that Vancouver game we played. I don't know if you remember that, like forever ago, like Sandine played on the top pair going into the playoffs last year with Brody. Like just get weird with it. Yeah, just add a couple more things to your back pocket like Keith's been doing all year, which Again, I've really liked from him. He's he's tried a lot of things tonight. He went back to, uh, speaking of Brody, went back to that Muzzin-Brody pairing, and again, they looked good. Um, but I'm with you. I think, I don't know how it works with uh, the number of contracts they can have, but we know they should have enough cap space with Kasha on LTIR, Mrazic's 3.8 million. You'd think they could call up four or five guys if they have the roster space for it. I just don't know totally how it works. But yeah, I'm, I'm maximizing the number of guys I can sit. My... Uh, my priority order that I tweeted out in order of who I would like to be sat the most is number one, Jack Campbell. That's obvious. I do not want a Boston Bruin anywhere near his crease. Start Eric Schalgren, let Jack go into the playoffs riding a shutout. Then Mitch Marner, he's just been going off for so long. He's really had not had a break since he came back from injury. And then after that, it probably moves to the D where, where you got Brody, Riley, um, maybe Giordano, give them some rest. And then Matthews, I'm not as concerned about since he is coming off that that extended break, but yeah, I, I would hope that at least three or four guys come out of the lineup. And then like you're saying, you know, get those fourth liners, all the minutes they want. Call up, uh, call up Curtis Douglas, the six foot eight goon from the Marlies. Let him play a game, play 20 minutes with Simmons and Clifford and just run amok on Boston. Now you did mention Kasha. It would be interesting to see him hopefully get a game in there um, against Boston just to kind of warm himself up from the playoffs because we have seen in previous times when he comes back, he looks a little bit, behind for a game or two so it was encouraging to see him back in a uh, contact jersey at practice today Michael Bunting we all know he has the passion so he's he's going to be in there for game one you saw him skating today I feel pretty good about that so it's looking like the Leafs are going to be fairly healthy entering game one I think the only question mark really is probably Sandine right now 
Um, but other than that, it looks it looks really good. So that brings us to a question that we got from Maple Leaf Mania, where he said, including Kasha and Bunting, saying they're fully healthy, what is your forward lineup going into game one again? I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but my ideal fourth, my ideal lineup and what I kind of think that they're going to do are a little bit different. I think that we're going to see, unfortunately, and I don't love it, I think game one, hot take, Clifford, Blackwell, and Simmons are going to start game one and someone's going to be scratched because I think that I just see that maroon line. And I think against most other teams in the league, I'd be ripping guys like Kasha, Blackwell, and like um, whoever ends up not making the top line on that left wing or playing center. I'd ideally have that like for sure. But I just feel like with how big and like that fourth line has been playing together all year for Tampa, I would just try to, I think that they're going to do something along the lines of just try to like five minutes out there against them and just punch each other in the face. And then that'll be the fourth line for the series to start at least. I see your logic. I definitely think you're right that like we're guaranteed at least one of Clifford or Simmons is in the lineup as much as I wouldn't like that to be the case. I just don't see the point in it. Like, Maybe Simmons prevents a guy like Kucherov or like some of those other dirty players on Tampa from taking liberties on our stars, but it doesn't seem like Simmons deters a lot. And the problem with, with Maroon and Perry is that they're tough, but they're also really good. Like they're an excellent fourth line. Um, they can create offense. Whereas if you're rocking with, you know, Clifford Simmons and whoever Spets Blackwell, whoever it is, you just know that's a, a complete zero on offense. So I would personally hate to see that. I would ideally like to see the Leafs go with no Clifford, no Simmons for game one, and then adjust if they get out toughed. You know, like if they if they play game one and Maroon's running around and he's not getting any punishment for it, the refs are letting him do whatever he wants, that's when I would might make that adjustment and add a tougher guy like that. Yeah, and I, I like I wasn't really thinking about this, but I guess we also have home ice advantage. So we can kind of control a bit of the matchup to make sure that we're not uh, getting kind of um, – screwed on our on like against their fourth line and having guys that we don't want out there against them so i like i like the idea of the the kasha fourth line with like kasha blackwell and then whoever doesn't make the top lot nine i avoided your question earlier but the ideal lineup i think i would run would be the blackwell matthews marner line i wouldn't touch that and then i've been a big fan you mean, of you mean uh, Bunting. That, sorry, we're talking about Blackwell. I'm on the... <laughs> I, I, and then for the middle six, uh, I think you and I are both in agreement here, but I am, I've been a really big fan of the splitting up of Tavares and Nylander recently. So I would try as much as possible to just have the two of them on different lines. I liked the, uh, the Engvall-Kerfoot-Nylander um, line and then uh, Tavares-Mikheyev uh, and then whoever's on that right wing. Um I think that we could have Kasha there. I don't know if he'll be healthy. Um, maybe like Blackwell, if you put Camp on the fourth line, but and Robertson, my boy, maybe we'll sneak him in there. I don't think that's likely, but um, some sort of combo like that. Uh, we've seen Kasha work with Tavares really well in the past, so maybe that's an avenue they explore. But I think you and uh, you and I talked earlier, and I think that's kind of the move. I'm actually exactly with you right now. I typed in my potential lineup so I wouldn't blunder it when I was talking, but it was almost the exact same. You're obviously going to roll with that first line. And then I think Mikheyev Tavares is a lock. The only question is who is on that right wing? Do they go with Nylander uh, or do they go with a, a Blackwell Akasha? My first choice would be Kasha. The only question is 
Um, how much are they going to rely on him, you know, coming off of that injury? But I think that's the perfect opportunity to give William Nylander some extra minutes. If you put him on that line with Engvall and Kerfoot and they're only playing about 12 minutes, you know, you give those extra four or five minutes that Kasha can't handle over to Nylander and all of a sudden you're getting Nylander up to his, you know, 18, 20 minutes a night. So I think that would be the top nine. We're in complete agreement about that. And this is my happy medium solution that I would offer to Sheldon Keith because I know he does want the toughness in the lineup. So by taking uh, David Camp out of that th- top nine, you're allowing those lines to provide all the offense. And then you're not relying on that fourth line for offense like you would in past years. So you can go a little bit more defensively. And we've seen Wayne Simmons in the past. He's actually shown that he's kind of been decent enough defensively. It's just offensively where he struggles. So I would give him a shot. Put him with Blackwell and Camp and just tell that line, you know, go play against the the Pat Maroon line, the Corey Perry line, whatever bottom six line they face and just come out even. And then at least you have that toughness in the lineup where maybe it does deter Corey Perry from punching Jack Campbell after the whistle or something stupid like that. Yeah, and that's three really good four checkers that you've put on there. So if we're going up against that fourth line, you've just got three guys that are just hammering them and just like pushing uh, as hard as they can and trying to give a bit of energy, which uh, I really like. So I like your 12 forwards. I think that's, uh, I think you and I are both in agreement that um, some combination of those 12 uh, should be the move for game one. Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm I'm with you on the fact that Nylander and Tavares, if we can just get two solid lines out of that, two sc- solid scoring lines, and we're not putting all of our eggs into one basket, I like starting that way. If things go poorly against Tampa, their second line's dominating ours, Keith can always change it. I think... That's going to be a real key for him is what adjustments does he make as the series goes on? Because we saw last year, he didn't really adjust too much when things got staggered for the offense. This year, he's got a lot more pieces that he can kind of move around the chessboard. Yeah, and I like that what he's done that he didn't do last year was that he's tried things. Like he, like you said, he's he's been doing different things during the season. So we kind of have a good idea right now of um, if things don't work for game one, game two, like they're... We have like a large sample size of different pairings and different lines that we could go to, uh, which we didn't have last year. Yeah, part of that was out of necessity because we've been missing most of our, like we've been missing almost every player at some point this year. So it's kind of forced the team. We had Matthews out for a while, Marner out, Bunting's been out recently. Like he's been kind of forced into it, but he's been doing an excellent job. And we now have a ton of different options that I would feel like at least comfortable enough with on the forwards. Now moving to defense, we saw Jake Muzzin come back tonight and he played with TJ Brody. What did you think of Muzzin's performance? I thought he looked good today. Like it wasn't, he didn't look too, um, like he was jumping up in the rush a lot more. I felt today, like he was trying to not in the rush, but like more into the offensive zone. I know he had that one chance where he, he's like in the slot and he pulls it to the backhand. And I was like, Oh, like I'm not seeing Jake Muzzin do that a bit ago, but he just, it felt like he was really comfortable tonight. I don't know if uh, if you noticed that too, but it was just like I didn't really think of him as. Um, I think the tweet earlier was that he had he had missed twenty seven of the last thirty one, and it wasn't really. Uh, it didn't really feel like he had done that. He he just felt like he was comfortable and that he he was ready to go if we needed him for game one, which I think he'll be there for. I completely agree with the offensive part that you said too, because I, I mentioned to my dad near the end of the game, I was like, wow, wasn't it good? I didn't really notice him too much tonight. My dad's like, really? He's like, I noticed a, a lot of good plays that he made. I was like, yeah, I'm what I meant more on the defensive end. Like I didn't notice anything bad he did, but, but my dad made a good point. Like Muzzin was making some really nice offensive plays. He looked a lot. 
I don't know, maybe it was because he was playing against shitty Detroit. He was just so relaxed and kind of free-flowing out there, and they were trying to get Matthews his 60th, and that just built into the offense. But if you're going to get that from Jake Muzzin for even 15, 16 minutes a game in the playoffs, that's huge. Him and Brody led the team in expected goals for at 84%. They absolutely caved in the other team. So I'm really excited uh, to see Muzzin come back like that. I'll be curious to see what the lineup is against Boston, see how he does. Uh, if Boston is playing some of their better players, I don't know if they really will because it's pretty locked in where they're going to be for round one. So it'll be interesting. I really, I really do think that Muzzin could be a valuable piece. And even if we get him for 60% of the games, it's, it's a lot nicer this year where if he has his annual playoff injury, we have Rasmus Sandin who can hop in. We have Justin Hall who sat tonight. There's just so many options on the back end. And I think you mentioned exactly this scenario on a previous podcast where you talked about maybe the best way to get, uh, our, like to maximize Jake Melson's value is that he's not relied on as big defensively. And I know you've been uh, absolutely hammering the TJ Brody, Jake Muzzin pair, and that that's what we need to do. And you're looking right that uh, TJ Brody can take on that defensive role and maybe it allows Jake Muzzin an easier transition back into the lineup, only having to worry about um, making offensive plays and not having to, um, take on the load of the defense and if uh, if we get performances like that in the playoffs from that pair like it's um, I'm going to be more than happy like they looked they looked like you said the numbers back it up they were unreal tonight yeah and if we're worried about Muzzin's workload the way the pairings are kind of set up how they were tonight with him playing with Brody and then Riley and Labushkin together you know Labushkin's not going to be a 20 minute a night guy either so if you're only giving Muzzin 15 minutes you're playing him with Brody you're playing him on the penalty kill you can stack the the Brody Riley pairing at times too, to get those guys, the minutes that they need. And then you have Jir Daniel and Lilligren as a really solid, I wouldn't even call them a third pair. They're, they're like a two B two a kind of pairing. So I'm really feeling good about the way the defense has looked. Um, we saw Justin Hall was out tonight. Do you think that will be, do you think this is the defense that we're going to go into game one with, or do you expect Sheldon Keefe to make another change? I think tonight was them trying to get as close to their playoff lines as they could with the injuries and stuff they had. Cause I, I think you and I are in agreement that we should just absolutely not even try against Boston, just go out there for some cardio. And I think that um, the D pairs we saw tonight, I think Justin Hall sitting um, really like shows like, hey, this might be it for him um, because we are ramping up for the playoffs and he wasn't in the lineup. So I do think that this is the six in the pairings that they were in tonight. This is what we're going to see for game one of the playoffs. I just have a hard time with it. I, I have no idea how it's going to work out because when Hall's in the lineup, he plays a lot of minutes. He plays more than Labushkin. He plays more than Lilligren. Uh, Labushkin, out of those three defensemen, is the one who plays the least. So part of me thought maybe they would sit him out, but I just think with the style and with the fact that he's so consistently in the lineup, I don't see him being removed. So I think you're probably correct in that this could be the lineup. Maybe the change that I know a lot of people won't like, including myself, is maybe they put um, Hall in for Lilligren. But with the way Timmy's played, how could you really do that? Yeah, 100%. And like they were, I can't remember the podcast, but I was listening to someone today um, on the Leafs beat. They were talking about how if Muzzin, like the, the leash on Muzzin should be pretty short. If he's not playing well, then you got to get him out. And so another way to, um, stick hall and might be pairing him back up with Brody, which has had some extreme success since the trade deadline when we've had Muzzin injured. So I think um, a potential is for um, to get Hall back in the lineup could be taking Muzzin's spot if he's not ready for the playoffs or if the speed is too much of Tampa. So 
that might be an option as well. Yeah, I think just the big key to kind of take out of this, and we'll we'll definitely be covering this kind of stuff a lot more in the playoff podcast, is that there's just so many changes that I like the game one lineup and the game two, game three, like every game I think is just gonna have a different lineup. And I think Keith kind of needs to use that to his advantage. Like Muzzin, unless he's playing absolutely lights out and you feel like he's just absolutely integral, maybe him and it could be happening because him and Brody could play 15 minutes together, but they could be against the Kucherov line and they could be shutting them down. Like maybe Muzzin is integral, but if he's not an absolute cog on the blue line, maybe by game three, you just rotate a little bit. You give Muzzin a break. You make sure he doesn't get hurt. You keep him fresh. They just, I'm curious to see if they kind of load manage in the playoffs a little bit, given how close in value basically their, I don't know, their four through eight defensemen are. Like you got Geo, uh, Brody, and Riley who are, easily your top three most important defensemen. But after that, it's, it gets a lot closer. I would say they probably view Muzzin as number four right now. But yeah, there's just there's going to be a lot of change in the playoffs. Now, one area um, where I hope to see absolutely zero change in the playoffs is in net. I do not want to see Eric Schalgren, and I want to see a whole lot of Jack Campbell because, no, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it looks like we might have uh, at least last season's Jack back. It's pretty crazy. I think this is one of the most underrated 8-0-2 in their last 10 stretches um, that we've had from a Leafs uh, goalie. I haven't heard anybody talking about like this incredible run. Like I, He's giving the Leafs a chance to win every single night, and his two losses were against Florida in overtime, and like losing to the number one team in the league, like I'm not in the number one team in the East, like I'm not going to fault him too hard, but he's he's giving them a chance to win every night, and I know we might not get November Jack Campbell back in the lineup, but it, that's all you can really ask for in the playoffs. If he's helping the team win every night, then that's uh, that's enough for me. And I'm I'm buying into the Jack Campbell stock right now. He's uh, I think this is the best he's looked in recent memory, and I just I hopefully we just keep riding that deep into the playoffs. Yeah, he's been great since he came back. He had one or two rough games, but there hasn't been a game where I really felt like it was his fault at all. The the only one where he's allowed more than three goals since he came back was that Florida game where he came in cold on the second night of a back-to-back. Other than that, it's been three or fewer goals every night. He has a 9-15 in his last nine games since coming back, 7-0-2. Like you mentioned, he's, he's 8-0-2 in his last 10. He's just looking like Jack. He's looking a little more confident out there. You kind of see him like winking at the boys, doing his thing. So it's got me feeling good and – you mentioned to me NHL average save percentage is, is 907 right now. And he's given us above average. And I think if if he can give us something 910 and above, I feel really good, even though we're gonna be facing Andre Vasilevsky on the other end. And I liked what you were talking about with like the the winks and like the stick taps and stuff. It feels like he's a lot more confident right now. Um there was a stretch of the season where it felt like every like high danger shot, you can see him kind of look over his shoulder thinking the puck might have squeaked through him. And I just haven't seen so much of that right now. He just, he's, he's kind of getting comfortable in his game and he's, he's getting back to the, Hey, like I, I'm a great goalie in the NHL and I can win every night. And um, it's kind of ramping up at the perfect time for him to, to realize that. Now, before we get into our uh, stars of the game for tonight, there was a bit of news out of the college signing market and the Toronto Maple Leafs got, I would say the number one goalie on the, the college free agent market and Dryden McKay. He's a Hobie Baker finalist. 
rocking some pretty astronomical save percentages. Noah, how did you feel about that signing? Oh, not even just his save percentage. You see the one where he's got more shutouts than losses in his ho- in his uh, college career. Like, what a crazy stat, eh? Like, he, uh, I, I, I'm pretty hyped about it. You know, like I feel like we haven't had success in developing goalies recently, and so just as many darts as you can get to throw at the board. And this guy's got a pretty great track record uh, in college. So, uh, and this is the second time they did this with the the other guy they signed last year. So if this kind of becomes a little. Um, inefficiency they find in the market like i'm i'm all for it yeah and we've seen college goalies come in and be solid before like we signed ben scrivens who didn't have quite the same resume as mckay uh throughout his college career mckay he's had a 927 a 942 a 924 and a 931 he's 24 years old so he had four extremely solid years in college and I'm no goalie expert, so I'm not going to pretend like he's going to be some stud, but you said it. Throw as many darts at the board. I always say throw as many pieces of shit at the wall and you hope one sticks. And that's kind of what they're doing. They got Joe Wall back there. They got Shalgren. They got this guy. They got McKay. They're probably going to draft the goalie. They got Pexa. Like, just get as many of these guys as you can because you mentioned it. It's been a major problem for them uh, being able to develop a goalie. So I'm impressed that they were able to get him to sign. Um, he must, maybe, he, I don't know if it's because he, he trusts the Leafs' development or if he just sees that the Wheat Leafs are kind of lacking that starting caliber guy and he has that much faith in himself so that he thinks he can take the role within a couple of years. But I'll take it. It's, it's certainly better than not signing anyone. Yeah, and I thought it was impressive they got him on an AHL deal. Like, I kind of got a bit of flack on Twitter for this, but I was just, like, crazy how, like, the top college goalie, like, I figured he'd have, like, ELCs, uh, coming at him from everywhere and he signs a two-year Marley's deal um, and I'm like I, I'm looking at all the goalies we have and I, I just I love that fire in him like he's just bet on himself I think that like he's looking at this team and he's like well I can make the starting job or I can uh, I can play a role in this team in the next couple of years as a as a pretty big goalie so I thought that's awesome and uh, I can't wait to see what this guy does with the Leafs organization. Yeah, there's certainly an opportunity. Like, if he's an NHL-caliber goalie, he will get a shot here because nothing is guaranteed in the Leafs' net next year. Jack Campbell's a free agent, um, although I hope and think he'll probably re-sign. Then you got Peter Mrazek, who is an injury-prone guy who had a, coming off the worst year of his career. Shalgren hasn't shown himself to be a super reliable backup. So if McKay thinks he's got it, if he thinks he's an NHL-caliber guy, I think he's really coming to the perfect place because – the team is good. If, if he's good, he's going to get that recognition that he wants. He's going to drive up his value and he's going to, if he, if he does anything with the Leafs, he'll be a hero. He'll, you know, he'll be in the hall of fame in no time. So I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the Leafs. And I'm just hoping that this piece sticks to the wall, man. <laughs> now, uh, now before we uh, go, we will uh, talk about our stars of the game and, no, I know you have a really, really difficult decision to make with your first star. Oh, yeah. like There's so many different options to choose from, but I think I'm going to go with Austin Matthews scoring his 60th goal. Like, uh, what just an un- unbelievable season to do it in only 73 games. Uh, just incredible and, uh, like, so happy for him. You could see he was smiling on the bench and he was trying to hide it, trying to be all tough, tough guy. But he, uh, he had some really good quotes after the game about what it meant to him. So, just good seeing um, the the great regular season he's had capped off that way. And uh, just hopefully he can keep doing this uh, in the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, and I love that intermission interview where he basically admitted like he was gunning for a 60. He was just he just said he's going to keep on shooting, which go for it, man. Why not? And it was nice to see the the fans give him the respect he deserves. You know, the Leafs, they're not always known for having the best crowd. So to actually hear them, you know, standing on their feet for so long, kind of had to pause the game. And then I, I was like, come on, give him the MVP chant. And then sure enough, it came. So all around, just a great night for Austin Matthews. Great night for the Leafs. And... Um, Honestly, that's a really good thing what Matthews did. But to me, the most important part of tonight was Jack Campbell. And that's why he's getting my first star. He had another shutout, 20 saves. It wasn't exactly a heavy workload night. But when he got called upon, he was there. And he made a couple of tough saves. So we just talked about the goaltending. We just talked about how important Campbell is. But he deserves a little... uh, Little tap on the little tap on the pads, just like he gives all of his teammates. All right, and with that said, that about does it for the podcast today. Thanks again, Noah, for coming on. Anytime. Just remember, guys, live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love, leaf. And um, we will be seeing you again shortly. We're not exactly sure when we'll be recording the playoff preview podcast, but I'm hoping uh, for it to be out Saturday morning or maybe sometime Sunday. But we will keep you guys posted on Twitter. Check us out. Give us a like. Give us a subscription. Give us all that good stuff. And we will see you throughout this hopefully very, very deep playoff run.